Good morning, church. We are going to be in John 21 this morning. If you would turn there, we are going to be hopping into, uh, we're jumping out of the upper room again. We have been out of the upper room for the last few weeks, but we, uh, this morning, are finishing up the story of Peter. Last week, uh, we followed Peter to a courtyard and saw the uh, colossal pride and failure of one of Jesus' most faithful disciples. And at the same time, we also saw ourselves in him. And uh, this morning, we praise God that the story of Peter didn't end there, because today we're going to look at Peter's restoration in John chapter 21. A few weeks ago, if you were here, uh, we looked at another man, Judas Iscariot. And his story did end in failure. He was not restored to Christ. There was no forgiveness for Judas. And for each of us here today, uh, we have two examples. We have two opportunities to follow how we respond in failure. Will I be a Judas who never found forgiveness in the person of Jesus Christ? Or will I be a Peter who loved Jesus and found restoration and purpose? I can imagine there were a few questions on the minds of Judas and Peter after the moment of their failure when Judas realized that he betrayed Christ, that it was him who uh, let Christ into the hands of the Pharisees and he was led to the cross. In the mind of Peter, after he denied Christ three times in the courtyard, I wonder what questions ran through their minds. And I think this one uh, is a good candidate for both question that might have run through Judas and Peter's mind is, can I have purpose after shame? How can I recover when I have failed? Judas found no answer to that question. Peter did. And this morning, we're going to meet Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is a very significant place for him. And it most definitely would have highlighted his failure in following Christ. Because we find Peter on the very beach that years ago, Jesus had called him to be a disciple. For many, we often return mentally to the place of our failure. Sometimes we feel stuck and we find ourselves at night Uh, running over and over and over again in our mind the way that we have messed up. It seems like all of the interactions that we have with people, every place that we go, over and over again highlights our failure and our shortcoming. Reminds us of how we have messed up. What does God have for us in these moments? How can I have purpose after shame? How can I recover from failure? And I think oftentimes we walk these mental beaches alone, but what we find today is that even though Peter is returning to a beach where he was first called by Jesus, that probably highlights his failure in following him, even though he's returning there, he's not returning there alone. Christ is there with him, and what we will see this morning is the same thing that Peter learns. That love for Christ restores our past and it establishes our future. 
Love for Christ restores our past and establishes our future. Now, last week we were in John 18. This week we're in John 21. What has happened in Peter's life in these three chapters? Right, in John 18, we had just left Peter in the courtyard in the city of Jerusalem. It was on the evening before Christ's crucifixion, right? The rooster crows, Peter locks eyes with Jesus, and he runs off. He's utterly broken, he's weeping, he has failed Christ. And then in John 21, we have the disciples meeting Jesus in the northern part of the country, far from Jerusalem, at the Sea of Galilee. What's, what's happened here? What's gone on in the, in the meantime? Well, after the courtyard scene, we have Jesus is led off to his crucifixion and his burial. We have the 11 disciples that are left, minus Judas Iscariot, who has hung himself at this point. The 11 disciples are probably huddling together, uh, most likely in the upper room, terrified of what was going to happen to them, waiting to be taken by the Romans, killed themselves. On the third day, Mary Magdalene and some others, they go to the, uh, they go to the tomb and they're going to put spices on the body. They don't find Jesus. They find an angel who speaks to them. And then they speak to Jesus himself. And then Jesus appears to the disciples at least twice, what we can read in the Gospels. And he tells them, hey, go and meet me up by the Sea of Galilee. And then he leaves. Jesus has this interesting thing in his resurrected body where he shows up and then disappears all over the place. He'll show up to the disciples and then he'll disappear. And he'll show up to these disciples on the road to Emmaus and he'll disappear. And so he showed up to the disciples and he told them to go up to the Sea of Galilee. And that was the last they heard of him. And so they go. They all go up to the Sea of Galilee. They are waiting for Jesus to reappear to them. And this is kind of where we hop into our story. Right at the very beginning here in the Sea of Galilee, the disciples are probably sitting around um, hungry, waiting for Jesus to appear, not sure what they're supposed to be doing. And Peter is with six others around this sea, probably sitting on this beach. And Peter gets restless. He says, I'm, I'm going fishing, right? I'm going fishing. It's what I know. I'm going to go back to fishing. But it's a terrible, terrible night on the lake, and they catch nothing. They catch nothing. And we don't know this for certain, but I believe that Peter, standing out on this boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, is having flashbacks to the events of Luke chapter 5, the first morning that he ever met Jesus. And in Luke chapter 5, it had also been a terrible night on the lake. They had caught nothing, but Jesus was there teaching on the shore. And he looks out to uh, Peter and he says, put your nets down one more time. And do you remember what happened when Peter put his nets down one more time? They had this like miraculous catch of fish. So many fish that their ships were sinking. They had to bring more in. And Peter on this first day that he ever meets Jesus, he falls at the feet of Jesus and he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter's first response here on the very first morning he ever meets Jesus is to push him away. He sees his failure, he sees the person of Jesus Christ, and he wants to remove himself as far away as he he can. And Jesus responds that morning, don't be afraid Follow me, from now on you're going to catch 
men. And so here Peter is, three years later, back on the same waters, back at the same beach, he's come full circle with his failures rolling around in his mind. Peter is probably wondering, like, did the three years matter at all? If I changed in any way, right? And then it's deja vu. There's this man on the shore, and he's telling them to lower their nets on the other side of the boat, and they do, and there's a miraculous catch, and the disciples realize that it's Jesus standing on the beach. And so Peter and the disciples go to meet him there. And before we get into this, I want to maybe take a moment to frame Peter's state of mind. What is Peter thinking? What is Peter thinking in this moment? He had just been so humbled by his, by his failure, by his courtyard experience with Jesus, right? But Jesus was alive again. And Peter is probably wondering, do I still have a place with this man? Will this person still accept me? Do I have purpose after shame? Right? We have this bold Peter who is still hung over with failure. Bold Peter who is supposed to be a leader for Jesus. He's probably still ashamed. He's embarrassed. He is unsure of himself as he meets with Jesus on that beach. So let's dive into this story of Peter and Jesus' conversation. John 21, verses 15 and 19. We're just going to read verse 15 right now. It says this, When they, this is the disciples, and Jesus, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This is probably a very familiar scene to Peter. He had done this so many times over the last three years with Jesus, the disciples sitting around, Jesus is teaching. But at some point, Peter and Jesus, they get up to go walk the beach. And we know that at least John, the disciple, is following them. But it's a focused conversation between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus asks him, do you love me more than these? What is Jesus asking here? Right? Who, who are the these? What are the these in this question. And I think this is important for us to, to figure out because it's, it gets to the heart of what Jesus is doing with Peter. And there are three possibilities here for what these mean, and I think only one real contender. But, but first, these could mean the fish and the nets. Maybe Jesus is pointing at the fish and the nets. You know, Peter, do you love me more than you love your old life? Do you love me more than you love these fish and these nets? But this is already apparent, I think, in Peter's life. It, it never seemed like Peter really wanted to return to fishing for full time. So I don't think that this is the answer. Second, these could mean, do you love me more than you love these men? He might be pointing to the disciples. Peter, do you love me more than you love these men? Again, this is probably not likely. Peter always uh, said that he loved Jesus most, right? There was nothing in Peter's life that would show that he, didn't, uh, that he loved the disciples more than he loved Jesus. And so it's probably not the men. What I think is the correct option focuses on Peter's heart issue that was laid bare in the upper room and in the courtyard. Peter, do you love me more than these men love me? What a razor-sharp question from Jesus. 
Let's think back to Peter in the upper room. What Jesus wants to know is if he, Jesus, is Peter's primary love. Does Peter love Jesus supremely, or is Peter still concerned with how he compares to other people? Does does Peter love Jesus supremely, or is he still concerned with how his love compares to John's love for Jesus or, or other disciples' love for Jesus? Let's think back to the upper room here. When Jesus washes the disciples' feet in the upper room, right, Peter loudly and, and brashly says, you will never wash my feet, Jesus. And when Jesus says that Peter must be washed in order to have a share with him, Peter says, give me a bath, right? Wash all of me. Later, Peter declares that he's going to lay down his life for Jesus. In the upper room, Jesus says that he is leaving and the disciples can't follow him where he's going to go. And Peter responds, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Public, bold, brash. Peter wanted to know, wanted Jesus to know that he loved him more than anybody, right? In the upper room, if Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these these men love me? What Peter would have said is, Lord, I love you more than anyone in the world, right? You want the moon? I'll lasso you the moon, Jesus. I love you more than anybody. Nobody's love for you compares to my love for you. Public, brash, bold, and proud. But this man on the beach is not the same Peter we know from the upper room. He has been tempered by failure. His heart and his pride has been laid bare, open, out in public for everybody to see, not just himself, for everybody to see. Everyone has seen Peter's failure. And Peter responds the first time to Jesus there on the beach. He says this, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. This is Peter's response. And I want us to think here, is is this an answer to Jesus' question? Simon, do you love me more than these men love me? And Peter responds, Jesus, you know that I love you. It's half an answer, right? Peter's pride is again being confronted by Jesus, and Peter does not want to acknowledge his failure. Peter simply responds with, Lord, you know my heart. And and maybe with a little bit of shame here, Peter understands the deeper meaning of the question. He knows what Jesus is getting at. He wants to know, Jesus wants to know, if Peter's pride has been refined out of him. Right? Jesus is asking, hey Peter, was that fire you sat next to in the courtyard hot enough to melt the pride out of your heart? And what we find here on the beach is that It was. Peter does not want to fall back into his old ways. And instead of comparing himself to others, to the other men on the beach, Peter now realizes what is most important. Is Jesus the center of my focus? Is Jesus my supreme love? Does what Jesus' opinion about me matter more 
than what other people's opinion about me. Right? I don't want to be stuck. Peter doesn't want to be stuck again comparing himself to the men on the beach or to the men in the upper room. He wants to know what Jesus thinks about him. And is that enough? Does Peter love Jesus supremely? Twice more, Jesus questions Peter. Verses 16 to 18 say this, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The second question. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, there's a lot of debate over the differences in Jesus' questions here. Uh, two different Greek words are, uh, for love are used throughout Jesus' questions for Peter. Two different Greek words, and, and then Peter gets slightly different instructions each time Jesus uh, answers him, right? Jesus says, feed my lambs, and then tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. A lot of debate over the differences. There might be something there, there might not. I don't think that there is much here in the differences. And even if there is, we can still understand the conversation's main point here. What is Jesus getting at? What is Jesus most concerned with when it comes to Peter? What Jesus is doing is that Jesus is connecting Peter's love for him with Peter's mission for him. He's connecting Peter's love for Jesus with Peter's mission for Jesus. And then squished in between is this restoration moment that Peter has. Jesus is saying, Peter, you love me and I know that you love me. So let's get to work, right? Let's get to work. You have gone through failure and I have refined you for a greater purpose now. The main point here in this passage is not the slight difference of the words, but in the number of times Peter is questioned and in Peter's heart response. Why does Jesus continue to press Peter here, right? Remember, this is, this is out in the open. They're on the beach. At least John is following them. It's probably public. And you can see that the questioning bothers Peter. He was grieved by the third question, right? Having his failure highlighted and brought up over and over again. Jesus is publicly he's poking and he's prodding at the most sensitive area of his life right now. It's like a, like a splinter being removed, right? Jesus is standing there with the needle and with the tweezers and he's poking and he's prodding at this sliver until it can pop out and be thrown away. Jesus was not being cruel here. Rather, what he was doing was publicly reestablishing Peter's leadership by giving specific grace for specific sins. Let's go back to that night in the courtyard. Three times, three times, Peter was asked if he followed Jesus. He was asked by the servant girl. Remember, he was asked by the men that were sitting around the fire. And then lastly, he was, uh, he was asked by the relative of the high priest. And then three times, Peter denied Christ. The disciples had to have, at this point, known of Peter's triple failing. And what we have here is three questions for three failures. 
He didn't need three questions. Jesus didn't need three questions, right? One statement of restoration from Jesus would have been enough. He could have said, Peter, I forgive you. Feed my lambs. And that would have been enough. A reestablishment from Jesus for Peter. These questions and these words were not for Jesus. They were for Peter. It was Peter who needed to hear these questions three times and know that he was fully forgiven and publicly reinstated as a shepherd of Jesus' sheep. And this is the heart of Jesus, that he provides specific grace for specific sins. Do you want to know how much grace Jesus has for you? Do you want to know how much grace Jesus has for you? You can count your sins and you can count your failures and Jesus has that much grace plus one, right? Always plus one. Always plus one for your, for your sin and for your failures. Each and every failing of our past, Christ sees. There is nothing that escapes him. There is nothing that we can hide from him. Yet, if we bring our failures to him every time, we find specific grace for specific sin. Whatever number of sins and spiritual failings you have in your life, Christ matches one for one. Grace for sin, grace for sin, grace for sin every single time. And this is what Peter found on that beach. Grace for sin every single time. And this grace led to a public restoration and purpose for Peter. Jesus is declaring that Peter's past does not have to define him, and he's doing it publicly. He's saying it in front of his disciples, at least to John, he's saying, this man's past doesn't define him anymore. What I think of this man defines him, and I say that this man is forgiven fully and completely. It seems that the public nature of Peter's failings is matched to the public nature of his restoration. What Jesus is doing is he is restoring the disciples' confidence in Peter's leadership, in his apostleship, so that Peter can do the very thing that Jesus is calling him to do, which is to shepherd. Jesus tells Peter to feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. What's he saying here? What's Jesus want Peter to do? What we find all throughout John John 10 and, and many other places, Jesus uses this sheep language to describe his people and to describe his followers. John 10, 27 says uh, this, Jesus is speaking, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. What Jesus is calling Peter to do here is to care for Jesus' people, to care for Jesus' followers in the same way that Jesus cared for his followers, that Jesus cared for his people. Peter was to go and to be a shepherd, to be a guide, to be a leader. Jesus is giving Peter purpose after his shame. He's giving Peter purpose after his failure. And maybe just consider for a moment what all of the disciples were thinking after the crucifixion and after the resurrection. They're all looking around at each other and they have all seen each other at their very worst. They've all seen each other at their worst. They've all seen Peter fall away. All of them ran away that night in Gethsemane. All of them wondering, do I still have a place with Jesus? 
will he still accept me? Can I still do the work that he is calling me to do? Is anybody here fit to lead when Jesus leaves? And what Jesus did was make sure that the disciples knew that Peter was his chosen leader. So far in this passage, we have dealt with Peter's past, which has been fully restored. Specific grace for specific sins, three failures in the courtyard, three moments of forgiveness and restoration, public restoration of Peter. We have dealt with Peter's past, but now the passage turns to Peter's future. Let's look at this. Jesus here recommissions Peter, right? The very first day in Luke 5 on the beach, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. I want you to fish for men. I want you to be a leader of my people. Peter has gone through failure. Now he has been restored. And Jesus is recommissioning Peter to follow him and to go catch men, to fish for men. And what Jesus does is speaks another prophecy over Peter. And I can can imagine standing there on that beach uh, that Peter probably doesn't want any more prophecies from Jesus, right? It didn't turn out for me so well last time, Jesus. Can we just skip this? Can we go on to something else? Can I just be reestablished? No, Jesus has another prediction, another prophecy for Peter. This is what Jesus says in verses 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. What a downer of a prophecy, right? (laughs) Can you imagine what Peter must be thinking, right? Jesus just told him, You are fully forgiven. There is nothing in your past that is going to hinder you from doing what I want you to do, Peter. Also, you're going to die, right? Also, you are going to die. High highs and low lows for Peter here, right? And sometimes following Jesus feels like riding an emotional roller coaster. So so what is Jesus doing here, right? Why would he do this? Why would he do this to Peter? Sometimes, or what's, what's Jesus saying here? Let's, let's look at this. Let's get into this. So first, in these two verses, if you'll notice in these two verses, we have uh, a statement from Jesus, truly, truly, and it ends with where you do not want to go. And then we have this parenthesis, uh, and this is John. Remember, this is the book of John, and it's John writing this gospel. John is the one that is following Peter and Jesus in this conversation there on the beach. And so clearly, John wanted his readers to know what Jesus was saying to Peter. Peter, Jesus was predicting Peter's death here, and then John clarifies and says, hey, Peter's going to die. And Jesus is telling him what kind of death he was going to glorify God by going through. Jesus is saying in this prediction that Peter, when you were young, you had freedom right? You were able to dress yourself how you wanted. You were able to go where you wanted to go. But he says, when you are old, you will not have the same kind of freedom. What he says, and what I want to focus on here, is you will stretch out your hands. So we know from the explanation by John that what 
Jesus is speaking about is the specifics of Peter's death, the kind of death that Peter would die. And this kind of death that Peter actually died, and the specifics of this are debated as well. Some argue, some say, that this phrase, stretch out your hands, was commonly known and was commonly associated with uh, those who would be crucified on a cross. A prisoner would be laid down on the cross and their arms would be strapped to the cross member or their hands would be nailed to the cross member. They would literally stretch out their hands on the cross. And so some people take that. It was a commonly known phrase to say, hey, Jesus is saying that Peter is going to die the same death. He's going to die on the cross. Others say that there's not enough evidence for this and that all we can get from this is that Peter is going to die uh, at the hands of his enemies, that he's going to be led away somewhere that he doesn't want to go. Scripture doesn't record what kind of death Peter died. It doesn't tell us how he died. But what church history does tell us is that Peter was crucified, that Peter was most likely crucified under Nero in Rome, and that he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to die in the same way that Jesus died. And so whatever we pull from this, whatever kind of specific death we pull from this, what we do know is that Peter died and lived in a way that glorified Christ. What we do know about this prophecy and from this prophecy is that Jesus is giving Peter a second chance, right? On the very same beach that Jesus called him in Luke chapter 5 and he said, follow me, Walking through failure where Peter did not follow Christ, again, on this very same beach, we have a second chance. Peter, I am asking you to follow me even to a death you don't want. And what we find here in Peter's life is that with Jesus, Peter's failure is not final, right? Peter's failure is not final. Final. Peter has a second chance here to redeem his statement from the upper room and his statement in the courtyard that, Jesus, I would lay down my life for you. This is what he said in the upper room. Jesus, I would lay down my life for you. And Jesus is saying here on the beach, here's your chance, Peter. You had said you're going to follow me and that you would lay down your life for me. You did not do it in the courtyard, but with me, failure is not final and I'm giving you another chance to do what you said you would do. Follow me even to death and perhaps even to death on a cross. And what's incredible about this prophecy is that Peter lived and served Jesus for over 30 years with this prediction hanging over his head. 30 years. Peter lived with this voice of Jesus saying, you will have the opportunity to follow me into martyrdom. You will have the opportunity to die for me. What we know from those 30 years is that Peter did not waste his second call to follow Jesus. On the very same beach, on the very same beach where Jesus first saw Peter, Peter's future is established because of his love and commitment to Jesus and Jesus' love and commitment to Peter. On this very beach that represents failure in following Christ for Peter, Jesus gives him a second chance. And if anybody here 
feels stuck on a beach that represents your failure in following Christ, he offers you the same chance at restoration and purpose that he gave to Peter. So the question is, how do I get there? How do I have purpose after shame? How can I be restored after failure? A few thoughts here as we close. The first thing that we find in Peter's life and the first thing for us as well is that we need to receive specific grace for specific sins. What area of sin is Jesus questioning? And have you received specific grace for it? Or are you letting that splinter fester? Right? Jesus is there holding the needle and holding the tweezer and says, let me do some poking and prodding here to restore your past and establish your future. Are we sitting in that uncomfortable moment? We shouldn't be ashamed of bringing our failures to Christ because he already knows them, right? Jesus already knew that Peter was going to fail him in the courtyard when they sat in the upper room. That was the prediction. Jesus already knew Peter's failure. And if Jesus already knew Peter's failure, Jesus knows yours that are coming and yours that have already come. Don't be ashamed to bring your failures to Christ. He knows them and he offers specific grace for them. Jesus already had grace prepared for Peter in the upper room. Peter had to walk through failure and step on that beach to find it. Remember that whatever sin we have in our life, whatever failures we have in our past, Jesus has grace plus one for them. Always, always grace plus one. And an encouragement for this, we can receive specific grace for specific sin, but if our sin and our failures are continual and we never bring them to the body of Christ or we never share them with brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, what we do know about sin is that it grows in the dark. And sin is only, and grace is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. But sometimes our brothers and sisters drive us to the person of Jesus Christ. If you are stuck on a beach that represents failure for you, Perhaps your first step in finding specific grace for specific sin is being open and honest with a brother or sister in Christ about your failing. Receive specific grace for specific sin. Because what we find in Christ is that not only can our past be restored, but our future can be established because failure is not final with Jesus. No one's past has to define their future if Christ is telling their story. But it is with Christ that we find restoration and future purpose, right? We can, we can sit here and we can wallow in our failure. We can wallow in our sin. Like Peter on that boat, we can let it run through our mind over and over again and believe that Christ has nothing for me because of the ways that I have failed or because of the sin that I have in my life. And this is not what we find in the story of Peter's restoration. Failure is not final with Christ. You still have purpose and you still have value to the body of Christ. Do not wallow in your failure and your sin, but get busy doing the kingdom work. And lastly, how Peter finds specific grace for specific sins, how Peter realizes that failure is not final, this core 
idea is that we are called to love Jesus supremely. This is the path that, this is the start to the path that we can find restoration for our past and establishment of our future. Because with us, Jesus deals with us every single day like he dealt with Peter. He offers us every single day the same offer that he gives to Peter. And I want to I take a moment here and consider the questions that Jesus could have asked Peter on the beach. What could, have, could Jesus have asked? Jesus could have asked Peter, why did you deny me in the courtyard? He could have asked that. It's a fair question. Jesus could have said, hey, Peter, we need to talk about how you failed me. We need to talk about how you failed me. The question that we receive from Jesus every morning of our lives is not, why did you fail me like this? Why are you not as good as blank? Why can I not trust you with blank? The question that the Lord spears through our heart each and every day is the same question that he asked Peter, do you love me? What we find is that love for Jesus is the solution to all of the problems of our hearts. The last few weeks we have looked at both Judas Iscariot and now we have looked at Peter the Rock. Both experienced failure. Only Peter was restored by Jesus and is with him now. Failure is inevitable in our life. But when your heart and your pride are laid bare, when your failure is public and it is out in the open, will you go to the hanging tree like Judas? Or will you, like Peter, go to Jesus who hangs on the cross for you and offers restoration and purpose? 